Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi, Guthrie. And we have a guest today, uh, Steve Fleming Pro, senior UX researcher and consultant at user testing. Hello, Steve. Hi, Guthrie. How are you? I'm doing well. So uh, again, this is another one of Susan's acquaintances. Uh, I think this is, is called Susan Brings All Her Friends <laughs> on to the podcast. I'm happy to come on your podcast, Susan. So Steve, uh, um, Steve and I go back a ways. Steve and I worked together at another company. Oh, Wow, I don't even know how far back we go. Maybe we don't want to even mention how far back we go because that makes us seem um, older than I'm sure we are. But um, it's it's been a while, right? Yeah, yeah. It just shows how experienced we are, Susan. That's, there you that, are. We're extremely experienced. So um, I I have a bunch of questions for you, Steve. So right now you're you're uh, as Guthrie said a a senior UX researcher, user researcher, right? A user yep. testing. And yep. I want to talk to you about uh, what you're doing there. But but I but I I want to start with a question about design, actually. Because when we worked together, you did user research, but you also did a lot of design work. Yeah. Right? Yep. I mean that's what I, I remember. By the way, Guthrie, I'll put I'll tell you, Steve was the um, when we were we would work on projects, and I would be uh, responsible for getting um, deciding what staff to use on which client project, and uh, then I'd have other people who worked for me that were also responsible for getting staff on project, and we would fight about who got to have Steve. That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> we would. I'm not joking. He is. He's. Uh, so we can now make him blush, but no one will be able to see it because it's a podcast. Uh, he's just a, a great designer and really wonderful with clients. And so you always wanted Steve on your project because no matter what it was, he would do a great job. The design would be wonderful. The client would be happy. Uh, nothing would blow up or get weird. And, um, but there was only one of him. So everyone got to fight about him, but do only do only to my mentoring from Susan. Is that, <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, but anyway, why, you know, design, right? So, uh, you were, you had very good soft skills. You were really good with clients. You, I mean, I'm still, I shouldn't talk in the past tense. You, you still are, I'm sure. But when it's past tense for me, uh, and you were also this great designer. So taking, you know, doing user research up front, having all this information. And one of the things that I, I know we used to put you on was if it was a complicated interface, you know, we're not, it, it was this, some really esoteric, uh, uh, domain, um, I remember we worked, Guthrie, you'll be interested in this because you have a law degree. We worked together on this project for software for lawyers. Remember that? I do. And we made that, um, we made that visit to the client site and there were all those lawyers locked in a back room. <laughs> do you remember yeah. that? Guthrie, the they were lawyers. I, it was I a sweatshop of lawyers. 
It's true. They were literally locked in, like they couldn't they couldn't get in and out. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's there. There are good reasons for that. And they're working in these tiny cubicles. It was really interesting. I'm anyway. serious about the good reasons, though. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I'm sure there are, but it, it it was it was it was an interesting experience. But anyway, um, you know, or medical or financial or complicated. So so Steve was always working on these complicated projects. And there's this there's this moment, you know, when you have to take all that user research and all that complicated domain, and you have to start creating, you know, screens or an app or software. And I'm, I've always been interested in what makes some people do that really well and seemingly easy, although it probably isn't easy. And for other people, you know, they just, it, it's really, really hard to come up with a prototype, to come up with an interface, to start creating screens. So my question is, do you have any insight on that? What is it about some people that makes that, you know, uh, doable and fun and challenging, but able to come up with a great interface? Yeah, it's, it's actually a great question. And, you know, uh, well, well, first of all, because I'm so wonderful. That's <laughs> um, So it's just genius, but, and the rest of us yeah, should just yeah, forget I, about it. A, a, a no. nuance beyond our level of comprehension. <laughs> right, right. It's possible. Yeah. Actually, I mean, the, the way I think about it, right, is, is the, it's, it's actually not that hard, but it's really, you know, needing to have that foundation in the research. I think it's really hard to come up with good designs when everyone's just throwing their design ideas out there. And then... Right. And, you know, we're human. So we come up with an idea and then we back into that idea with some explanation of why it's going to be super useful to our users or, you know, why that totally makes sense. Right? Prove that to ourselves and avoid the whole cognitive dissonance. So the idea, you know, that I've always had with design really is you know, doing that foundational research, doing some sort of research so that you're basically illustrating what you've heard and what you understand what you understand from the folks that you talk to um, and I think that's really the the core of it is just saying okay you know I'm gonna actually make a vision of the things that we've the things that we've talked about and sometimes you don't have the ability to go do some fundamental research but if you've been in the field for a while and you've talked to lots of different users you have you have that empathy um, and I know empathy is kind of a, a cool word to be using these days, but I think it's true, right? Really sort of having that understanding that you're not the user and uh, what the user needs and what they feel. And, and the fact that that design looks really cool, but, you know, hey, I don't want to use a cool design. I want to get my job done. That's the thing that's going to that customer's mind or that but I think there is also a visual element. Somehow you're able to visualize what uh, all that data would translate into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're asking me to uh, to uncover my deep processes, right? Yeah, I'm asking you as the, oh, as the magician to just go ahead and tell us how you do the trick. That's... Well, if I knew how to do it, right? If I knew how I did the trick, <laughs> then that would be the challenge. I mean, I guess, 
you know, right. One thing is, yeah, there, there probably is some sense of, you know, some folks are able to kind of process that into a vision more easily than others. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that the vision that I process, you know, the, the vision that I create based on the data that I have to create a design, um, it usually doesn't look very pretty, <laughs> but it gets at that sort of interaction design. And that's what I've always enjoyed is that little interaction design. You need to understand how someone's going to interact with it. And then some brilliant person will make it visually beautiful. Uh, okay. That's you know, that, okay. And do you work when, when you're, when you're in that moment of starting to create those interactions, would you, what do you think is your relationship between designing a particular micro moment versus, you know, cause when you're designing the interaction, you know, you, you're sometimes designing micro moments, right? Exactly what, what are the fields they're looking at on a form? Exactly what action are they going to take next? And then of course there's also macro moment, you know, macro design, like, well, they're, they're filling in this form right now, but that this form is part of, you know, this panel and this panel is connected to this other panel. And, you know, we've got navigation and all of that. And I know you've designed at, you know, all those levels. So do you, are you going back and forth between micro and macro? Are you designing the macro first? Are you designing the micro first? Yeah. So, so design is definitely an iterative process and I'm, I am not attached to going only in one direction. Like, oh, we need to have that vision before we design the individual page. Uh, and then we never go back to the, to the bigger vision. So I actually find myself going back and forth when I'm working on a design. But the first thing that I always do and I encourage anybody that I talk to about, des talk to about design to do is create boxes and arrows. Right. If we don't understand at a macro level that you know the user needs to do or see this, then do or see this other thing, then do or see this other thing, regardless of if those are on the same page or on different pages, um, if we don't understand that flow, we're never going to come up with a good design. But once we understand that flow, even if it's not perfect, but everybody kind of agrees on it, then we can start working on that detailed design. And if the detailed design makes us go back and say, oh, we didn't think about this branch or that branch, um, then that's fine, right? We go back and we add some more branches in. But I think that lack of really understanding, and when I say boxes of arrows, right, it's like, you know, this process, this task, this step leads to this step, and this step leads to one of these two possible steps. Um, there's a couple things there. One is, you know, how can we possibly design the details of a page if we don't understand, right, where the user's coming from and where they're going? And I think a lot of teams do a really poor job of understanding the scope of what they're tackling. And so they get down into the weeds. And so then they create a really great individual page that doesn't work in the scheme of, of how the user's interacting with the overall experience. Um, and so uh, they just don't understand that scope. And so that idea of like, oh, we need to come up with this new design and we're going to roll it out in March. Uh, okay, that's great. Do we really understand even what we're doing? Um, and, and really that forcing that forcing that thinking about what the overall flow is. And sometimes for a project, that is a giant flow diagram in something like video or, or some other format. 
that everybody agrees on and every decision point is identified in that. Sometimes it's uh, a piece of paper on my desk and I just make sure that I draw the three boxes and how those boxes will flow together mm -hmm. before I start actually sketching um, pages. So much yeah. like the UX process, your process to do UX process is to have a pre-process <laughs> to know what you're doing before you act. Well, and I think interaction design is kind of a forgotten area of design. I think when you talk about designers, folks are either visual designers and we talk about the visual theme and we force a design to match the visual theme we're going for. Um, yeah, I think when people talk about designers, that's what they that's what they think about. But yeah, absolutely. There's that pre-step, that interaction design. And that's why I've always... You know, when folks say, oh, you know, Steve, you're a designer. I'm like, well, I'm an interaction designer. Or, oh, you know, I've got interaction design experience. And so they either understand that or they don't. And even that is, is, is really telling, right? Like, oh, we don't understand what an interaction designer really is. Um, and that's what I love about research, because it's really that interaction designer is bringing that research into the, um, it, end up in applying it, like making it concrete. Uh, because when we do research, right, we get a lot of information, but it's only useful once it becomes once it becomes more. Yeah, yeah, great, great description, and and I really appreciate you going into that because I think um, I think sometimes it, you know I mean I teach you know user centered design and it it's I think sometimes we can forget to go into depth about the design process and that that idea of really understanding the flow of the user experience at at a small level micro level but then you know backing it out at larger level and at a larger level i think is really critical and um and i also think you know there's there's some research that shows that uh one of the uh, characteristics of how uh, people who other people who are creative, um, one of the things that they do is they uh, either have an ability or have honed an ability to go from uh, the high level, big picture down to the detail, back up to the high level, back you know down to the detail, and they're able to zoom in and zoom out as they're creating whatever it is they're creating. And I think that that's, you know, that's been my observation of people who are really great uh, product designers, interaction designers, is that they're they're doing that zooming in and zooming out all the time. And then, as you said, that importance of revisiting. So, you know, here's what we think the flow is, but wait, you know, maybe we, you know, you're down in the weeds about something and then you go, oh, but wait a minute, maybe, maybe that's not what they would be looking at next. So um, I, I just think it's really important, everything you said. And I, and I think these, these really fine points of design, um, I don't think we talk about them enough. I think, and I think that makes a difference between uh, a really great user experience and an okay user experience. 
Right, right. And I, and I think for some organizations, right, it's hard because you're always thinking about that going forward, right? We're always trying to make a particular deadline for a particular piece of work that we're doing. And so the sense of like, yep, you know, we might have to actually take a step back. That's going to make us be able to stride forward rather than just. Step yeah, step people back. don't like that. They don't they sometimes they don't, you know, they don't want to lose that forward momentum or go back and revisit something, you know, a decision that was made previously well it's it's funny because i've run into it i mean i've always run into it in my career and susan maybe you've run into it too i'll do a piece of work for a customer especially when it's some research or evaluation of a design idea um, and if all of the feedback is great like oh this design is great it actually makes me feel a little queasy right yeah because maybe that's true right that we're you know that that we that we nailed it in that design but, you know, I just have that really inherent sense that, like, we couldn't have gotten everything perfect. There's something yeah. going on here. So maybe my questions are bad <laughs> as opposed to, like, the design's perfect. We need to be comfortable I, going. I, I agree. You know, I there's a, uh, when I teach user testing, which we can now start to talk about because I know you're doing a lot of user research these days. But when I teach a user testing course, uh, I always tell the story about um, I was walking I was on site at with a client doing probably an evaluation of an existing interface. I wasn't doing user testing, but I was right I was working right near the user testing lab and I happened to overhear um, some people that were talking in the hallway outside the user testing lab and someone said, you know, how's the test going uh, for whatever product they were testing? And the person said, "Oh, it's going great. We haven't found any any issues or problems with the interface. And I was like, I mean, I wasn't even working with these people, but I, and I, I, I almost it, it just interjected myself into the conversation. I didn't, I actually went back and talked to my client contact about the conversation, but I almost said, you know, uh, red flag, red flag, you know, sound the alarms. It, you know, that is not because that, you know, that's not what a great, user test is you know a great user test is when there are issues and there are problems and you know what they are and then you even have some ideas based on the 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 data you're collecting about perhaps how to fix it you know that's a great user test then like yeah so i agree with you if everything's wonderful and nobody had any issues um especially if it's early on in the in the design right yeah. Right, you right. should probably be worried. That's a that's a great idea. Well, All right, so one, yeah, no, go sorry. ahead. Just one last thing about design, because that especially early in the design, something else I encourage folks. So when you're thinking about design, is when you're early in the process, come up with multiple designs, right? Because that's the chance you've got to to be able to rough out a couple of designs. Mm -hmm. Because then, right? I mean, it, it makes sure that a couple of ideas are actually moving forward. It also keeps us less attached to our design because yeah. again when we've got that one design of course we think it's a good idea otherwise we wouldn't have come up with that design then when you take it into you know some early usability testing and you get some feedback you kind of dismiss the negative feedback like oh yeah yeah well that's just because it was just a wireframe yeah. don't understand it better when it's more when it's all fleshed out like, yeah when we've spent way more money working on it and then it still doesn't work right? yeah um so yeah that's and it's like that, hey, you know, let, we're humans. We ad admit the fact that we're going to get attached to our work. 
So yes. start with a couple of pieces of work and that way you won't be so attached to any one of them. So you're not doing right now a lot of design. Is that accurate in your new job? New job. You How long have you been with user testing? It's not that new. Just about a year. Yeah. yeah. That's relatively new. Yeah, it's fairly new. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in my role now, I'm really doing a lot of uh, doing research myself, also consulting or, or you know, assisting customers uh, with running their own research and um, also doing training. And it's something that I really, I, I always enjoyed when we worked together before, Susan. And yeah. uh, I continue to enjoy. So I feel very lucky to be in a, have the opportunity to be able to do, uh, to provide training. Right. Uh, you know, on our software, right, we are a software company, but also just on research in general. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I let my design shops slip in once in a while. Right. Um, that's actually what I enjoy. Right. We're doing the research because we want to improve a design or learn about how something should be designed. So, yeah, I'm not drawing in my current job. I'm not uh, drawing designs much, but. Um, I definitely, my design sense uh, influences sort of the feedback that I provide when, when we analyze results or when we talk about a kind of research that we want to run. Yeah. So um, user testing, the company that you're working for, I, I would think a lot of the people listening know who they are and what they do, but we should probably just mention it to give some context. So do you want me to do that or do you want to do that? I mean, I can I, I can break out the uh, the official uh, the, uh, get my my card out that I read off of when I say. That. Uh, so so yeah, and it's funny because right, I mean, five years ago the company's been around for ten years. Um, you know, five six years ago, many fewer people would have heard about user testing. So I mean, it's definitely uh, coming becoming something that's just become more familiar to folks and. It's really a software platform that allows organizations to run uh, remote, unmoderated usability tests. And you can run remote, moderated tests. But the real core of the application is the, the platform is that a customer can set up a study and launch that study out to folks and have them, and again, in an unmoderated sense, you could launch a study out to 10 participants and 10 people are taking the study all at the same time. Um, and then you get the the video results of that study and can do and do analysis. So, all right, and yeah. and so that there might be some people who don't who aren't familiar with, you know, doing user research or doing user testing. Um, we should probably explain what we mean when we say remote and what we mean when we say unmoderated. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Moderated and un unmoderated, right? That's a distinction that's often used in the user research field. So moderated means that you're effectively real time with the participant. So whether that's over a phone and over a Skype meeting or WebEx or Zoom or whatever tool. Um, so you can be real time with the participant. So the individual who's going through the, uh, who's reviewing the design or answering the interview questions, right? It might just be interview questions. So that's the idea of moderation and right the value of moderation is it's that two-way communication right you're able to hear what somebody says and then ask a follow-up question based on what they said so it becomes a very interactive sort of discussion 
the drawback of moderated sessions is that you have to schedule that chunk of time. Right? You've got to schedule the participant, right? We've got to schedule Guthrie and Susan and Steve all to be on the call at the same time and to be able to have that back and forth discussion. So then unmoderated is when you're not there real time. So the challenge with unmoderated is that your study is only as good as what you've written, right? The, the tasks. So think about a survey, right? Survey is unmoderated. It's unmoderated. It's an unmoderated interview, but it's only as good as the survey questions. And if your survey questions are very clear, you get great uh, results. If your survey questions aren't clear, that can be a challenge. Um, and so then in the user testing platform, right, the idea of an unmoderated uh, usability study, uh, participant may be looking at a screen and actually interacting with the design uh, and providing feedback uh, about the design. Again, based on tasks or questions that have been set up ahead of time. So there's no one with them right at that moment, sort of seeing their immediate feedback and being able to ask follow-up questions. But it allows you to cast a wide net. Right? That's why people, that's why we love surveys. Not we, <laughs> people uh, love surveys. I think Susan and I probably have mixed feelings about surveys, but uh, you know, surveys, the beauty is you can cast a wide net. You don't have to sit with all those individuals and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. You send it out, you get a bunch of responses back. Yep. Uh, so, um, and, and well, you know, I remember when user testing the company, usertesting.com first started up. And I remember the first time um, I must have like tried out the product or something. And um, it was, it, you know, up until that point, we were all doing moderated testing, which is great. And I've done a ton and I still do some. Uh, the the one where you said you're you know you're either physically there with the person or you're connected uh, remotely with you know Skype or whatever WebEx or whatever um, and this was the first time that I had seen a tool that would you know really allow you to do this unmoderated type of test easily right I mean it was really I mean, it was re in a way, it was really easy. Like you said, the, the, if you don't write those tasks and write the, you know, choose the tasks and write the instructions well, then uh, you might not get the information you're looking for. But if you do a good job of, at that, you know, it, it was just this, um, you know, now I think a lot of people are familiar with doing remote unmoderated testing. And it's no big deal. But when I when user testing first came out, it was a big deal. And I remember sitting there watching my first, you know, the video that came back, right? Because a video comes back where you can see um, uh, the screen, person's screen, and you can hear their voice, and they're following the instructions you had written out. And I remember, you know, submitting my first test just to try it out, and. Uh, you know, you can, I remember following the progress because I, yeah, they have a, uh, usertesting.com, you can, you can send this out to their database of testers. So you don't even necessarily have to recruit yourself, which was also, you know, that was a new idea. And so I created my little instructions. I, you know, pressed the go button. And then in my email came, you know, your test has gone out. And then like, literally 60 seconds later, you know, or less, 
you know, your test has been picked up by a test. And I was like, what? You know, and then 20 minutes later, you know, your test is, is complete. The test is completed, you know, and you can't go watch your video. And it was like a miracle, you know, it was like this <laughs> miracle. And I remember watching the video and, and, uh, I actually instantly opened my email and I sent an email to usertesting.com and, <laughs> and basically said, I wish I'd thought of this. That's what, I, that's what I said to them. I wish I'd thought of this. This is brilliant. I'm I'm really upset that I didn't come up with this idea. Uh, and that was back when they had just started. And I think the two founders were doing it like part time or or right. something like that when they first started. So it's been a great model. Uh, I mean, I I know it has taken off and just just gotten huge and. And the company is doing doing really well, but it is true, yeah. you know that that the way you phrase those questions is so important. And when you know when I teach classes, um, either corporate workshops or I've used usertesting.com in the university classes that I teach at University of Wisconsin, and uh, I actually enjoy kind of watching. I I have the class like create, you know, the task instructions. Um, and I get, you know, I tell them about what makes for good and bad task instructions, and then I have them create it and have them run the test. And then they realize, oh, wait, that wasn't our, <laughs> those instructions weren't really very good where they, and so I kind of use that as a way to, as a way to, um, teach them about how critical it is, whether you're doing remote on moderated or, or whether you're doing moderated, you know, how critical those task instructions are. You know, you word it one way and basically you're getting data on whether people can follow instructions or, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, exactly. you know, it's just, it's so critical the way you word that. And I know when I teach that, people initially may not, may not realize, you know, how, how very important that is, how much that affects your results. Um, well, it's funny. I mean, I, I'm on the professional services team, so we support our customers actually running research. And so we've all run dozens, hundreds of remote, uh, unmoderated usability studies or, or user research. We still always, once we set up a set up a study in the platform and launch it out, we always launch it to one person first. Right? One is you're going to get that feedback back fast, so you're not actually delaying the process, and you know, we still make mistakes in the way that we write the tasks. And again, it's simply because, you know, the moment we deeply understand the design, we're no longer able to really have that end user perspective. Right? So we write a question that makes total sense to us um, and makes total sense to the customer team that we're working with who thinks about that design all the time. And then we put it in front of a participant and the participant just doesn't understand that question. Oh, and yeah, yeah and so they go off on a. I mean, they're at another part of the website or the app. They're, they're. I mean, they might be doing interesting things, but it's not what you wanted to find out in that test because of the, you did something weird with the wording, and that that's the challenge with with unmoderated. Because if you were there with them real time and you realized that the way that the instruction was phrased, you know, you could you could adjust it. 
Um, if it's unmoderated, you know, you don't have that opportunity. So you want to get that right. But, you know, one of the ways that I, um, I have sometimes used um, the user testing software is to pilot our tasks and our questions for moderated testing. Do you ever see clients doing that? Exactly, exactly. Yes, it's actually something that we recommend, right? Because so sometimes you can get the information from an unmoderated study just as well as you could get it from a moderated study. And you know, maybe a team's just not comfortable with that or hasn't run unmoderated studies, right? They're, even today, there's more people who are familiar with sitting across the table from somebody or bringing somebody into a lab yeah. in an unmoderated session. So just making folks comfortable with that. So sometimes we'll recommend it from that perspective. Like, well, let's try to run this unmoderated. Uh, you know, again, we'll get the feedback in a day. If we don't like it, right? If it's not the level of detail that we want, then let's go ahead and schedule participants for a week from now or two weeks from now. Um, and that trade-off, right? Sometimes makes the makes the customer say, "Okay, you know, we can." We can work with this unmoderated, right? We can we can phrase the questions a little bit better, or you know this mm. this first session we ran that was interesting. It makes us think of other questions that we can ask. Okay, run another study, right? Run another study with those additional questions, or just as you said, right? So this can give us enough information to make sure that our moderated sessions go more smoothly. Because All right. Then, so yeah. I have a question for you before yeah. you joined user testing in this job, you hadn't done a lot of, I mean, had you done a lot of unmoderated tests? No, no, I had not. Um, I was familiar with the different uh, software platforms that are available out there, user testing and some others. Yes. <laughs> uh, which, I, which we will not mention. Competitors uh, who shall not be named. Shall not be mentioned, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I had actually, uh, you know, in, um, training sessions or courses, professional training in um, usability testing, right? We talk about these platforms and the yeah. pros and cons of the platform, but I had never spent a lot of time using them for specific studies prior to actually joining the company. So you had mainly done, you know, the right, the moderated. Exactly. You? All right. So, so what, what do you think? <laughs> the and and you know your employer's not listening in, so you can. Right? Yes. They, they have no <laughs> this is definitely be... not a public forum whatsoever. No, it, this podcast does not get released to the public, and I'm sure no one at User Testing will be. And if they ha do happen to somehow be listening, we will now ask them to please turn down their uh, their broadcast volume so that they can't hear. So what? So you like can tell us. Yes. That's, uh, <laughs> what do you, so what do you really think about, you know, unmoderated versus moderated? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I've become a true believer. Um, and if I if I wasn't right, if I thought, mm, yeah, this really isn't my thing. I mean, I, you know me, I would I would do something about that. Right. Uh, I would say, OK, you know, yeah, this isn't this isn't a fit. I'm not. Uh, I'm not really. This isn't the right job for me. You, exactly. You, exactly. Okay. Um, but I, actually, yeah, I, I do I, know you. That's true. You are, um, you are a person of very high integrity. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I have become a true believer, right? There, there's certainly there are times when you need to run moderated sessions, and and that's been a big push in our software. Is I mean, even in this last year, 
um, providing more ability for our customers to self-serve running moderated sessions. Because sometimes it makes sense to run moderated uh, moderated sessions, right? Because you've got a design that you really need to have that back and forth real-time discussion with a participant. Or you want to have a more free-flowing user interview because you're not quite sure what answers you're going to get. So you want to be able to, again, react and probe based on the, the feedback that you're getting from so there's always a place for that, but I have found real value in, and it's you know what I talk to my customers about, and not just because they pay me to, but this is you know I believe it, which is this unmoderated remote testing allows you this tight iteration in design. Right? It allows us to stop thinking about like oh we have one chance to bring our users into a lab. Uh, in three weeks, we're going to bring them into the lab. They're going to be there for an hour. What can we jam into that hour? And, you know, if at the end of those eight sessions, if we didn't ask a particular question, we feel bad about that. Um, and I, I really, um, you know, the real value of the unmoderated remote usability testing is, you know, in the user testing platform, right, is that you don't have to worry about that, right? What's the question we have today? Right, or what are the couple of questions we have today? Let's ask those questions. We're going to get answers. You know, what's the question of this week? We're going to get answers this week, and that's going to prompt the next question. So we don't have to spend a month making sure everybody agrees on the questions we're going to ask in that moderated session. That's just not useful time for. Mm. Let's come up with the best set of questions. Let's get some feedback now and then move forward. Because it, it admits that we won't ever be able to come up with all the best questions. And it admits that, you know, we need to move forward, right? We need to have some velocity in gathering user feedback. Otherwise, teams are going to stop valuing it, right? They're going to start thinking about user feedback the way they used to think about it, Susan, back when we started, uh, right? Where it was a nice to have. Like, yeah, maybe at the end, we'll ask some people to give us some feedback on the design before we move out. Just to maybe feel better. No, I fun. never worked on any projects like that. Okay, so maybe maybe. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, that's not the case anymore, right? Are uh, you seeing a lot of teams that I'm wondering? As you were talking, I was thinking, you know. Okay, so the ideal would be, you know, you've got. I mean, I I don't know that that I really want to devolve into talking about agile, so. I'll I'll very cautiously put this out there, but you know we there there are lots of teams now that are you know they're working and the development team is working in sprints and the the uh, UX people are you know working alongside them and 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 so on and it it certainly would be possible and I'm wondering whether you're seeing much of this where you know at the end of Ever, or it, not totally end, but somewhere in there, of every sprint, you know, there's a there's a user test of of as you said, you know, this week or this month's uh, uh, user testing questions. Um, and it, are people baking that into their process and doing it that much, or or not not yet? So that that's actually probably the the sweet spot where a lot of teams are using the platform, right? Because I think that's the easiest for teams to think about. Like, oh yeah, that's where we need this, this quick iteration. Um, you know, there's two, there's two sides to it. One is 
know, there's still going to be the limit to, you know, how many researchers do you have on your team? Right? Do you have a researcher dedicated to that, that project, right? That particular uh, iteration. We are really working on trying to democratize user research. So by the virtue of the user testing platform, right? Anybody who is, has an, you know, a seat uh, at that customer can get in there. And so that's not just the domain of researchers. It means you know, if the product manager wants to do that or if the designers who are working more tightly in those agile sprints or whatever development methodology you're using, um, they can do studies too. Um, now, sometimes that makes you know some of us classic researchers a little nervous, right? Because it's a skill. Running a good research, right? Asking the right questions and interpreting that data correctly, that's a skill. But we do want to kind of democratize the idea of thinking about design, right? It should not be something magic that only this team can do. And if that team's not available, then we just, you know, because the design's going to move forward, right? So the design team or the development team's going to say, oh, yeah, research is not available. We're going to move forward. So we'd rather give them some tools right, to be able to do, uh, to do research. And, and again, there's lots of product managers and lots of designers who you know, have reasonably good design chops or, or, or research chops, right? It's something that they're familiar with. Uh, maybe they've come from a, a research background or they've been involved enough in research um, that they're able to ask really good questions, right? Especially when we're thinking about, you know, hey, what's the question of the week? What's that question? And then the, the results can be really informative. So I think that, you know, what you describe is actually where folks typically think about remote um, unmoderated testing. What we really encourage and what I really encourage when I talk with folks is, you know, this is also the opportunity to do some of that, you know, upfront research that seems like, oh my gosh, you know, that's going to take forever. What you want, a month and a half to do persona research? Well, is there some research we can do using a platform like user testing where we can do it fast to be able to be then have researchers actually involved in some of those strategic ideas or some of that innovation or discovery work that happens up front. Um, and also allowing researchers to be more involved in the optimization end. Right? So instead of the, hey, we launched the software, we launched that app, fire and forget. Right now we're moving on to the new app. Um, you know, who knows? Hey, we've got big data and the big data will tell us uh, whether there's a problem or not. And that's all great. The big data will tell you if there's a problem. Hey, you know, nobody's downloading our app. Nobody is using these features in our app. You know, if you've instrumented your app well, if you've got your big data actually collecting the right kind of data, um, then you can know all sorts of things. You know where folks are having problems or where customers aren't doing what you want them to do. Uh, but it still lacks the why. So, so why are they doing that? I don't know, but we're going to change it. Right. Oh, we need to change something about the design. Well, why? Well, you know what? We need to learn some of that why. So being able to actually make it easier to do some qualitative research that gets at that why uh, in, in the optimization phase, or again, as I just said before, in the discovery phase, I think that's really uh, that's really a lot of value because I think you know lots of teams already think about doing research in the de design and development phase. Um, they should be able to do that better and faster. But also now let's start reaching out to these some of these other phases where lots of organizations just aren't used to doing as much uh, real user research. Yeah, Guthrie, you've been very quiet. Well, you know this is this is like 
<laughs> your guys's bread and butter if, if if i'm being honest but yeah. i do i mean i got i got lots of questions oh go ahead um and maybe you already covered it but i wanted to get steve's perspective so in the in the future um what percentage of of user testing do you think will be in person versus electronic yeah, so sir, I mean it's a it's a tough question, right? I mean, in the in the future, uh, who knows what the technology is going to be? Sure. But the, the technology is going to get better, right? So as we get better and better technology, there's going to be more ability to capture. Uh, again, right today, there's all sorts of big data that captures users' behaviors right out in the real world. So I think that's going to be a real value as the technology improves to be able to capture more of that qualitative experience out in the real world. And to capture that, again, you know, having somebody like Susan or I or, or a number of other researchers uh, follow someone around and take notes and observe them, right? We become, you know, we hide in the bushes and we use our binoculars. Yeah, you're your little Jane Goodall fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I think the technology is going to enable and should enable more of that real qualitative uh, understanding of, of folks in the wild. So I think there's going to be more and more of that. I mean, moderated sessions aren't going to go away. There's always going to be a value there. There's always going to be a time that you need to have that, that live discussion with individuals. So there's going to be a balance. I'm just excited about the more you know, I'm I'm not I'm a bit of a luddite, right? Uh, the technology for technology's sake doesn't really excite me. Wait, but I you're excited. a bit of a luddite. Yes, yes, <laughs> he's not that. really. I don't believe that. <laughs> he's stretching. Uh, the he's like I work. I work for a company that's a website uh, that is trying to do things online. So I don't. I just I don't believe that at all. <laughs> technology is all about achieving the goals, though. That's uh. But yeah, so I'm excited about technology being able to allow us to achieve more of those goals of gathering good research data. Um, and I think a lot of that will be uh, remote by nature and unmoderated again by nature uh, because we want that more real real life experience. So, so cause, because one thing that, you know, we talk to a lot of designers and they're feeling um, the general consensus is that you know UX e stuff is feeling a big squeeze, and maybe the pendulum is starting to swing back um, a little bit. But you know they're feeling this big squeeze from the dev teams and faster product cycles and smaller budgets, blah blah blah. Um, and I mean one thing that user research does allow is for a condensed the 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 because because the I feel like a lot of the goal is we want to have a UX process, but we just it in theory it would be like an hour long and involve no money. Like that would that would be great <laughs> if we could right. just if we could just have a you know do all the user stuff like we need to do that you know this the senior VP of whatever is saying we need, but if we don't have to like actually spend time or money doing it, that would be really wonderful. And there are now. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously a demand, and there seems now to be a market between uh, your uh, little industry niche and also, uh, you know, like like the uh, Adobe uh, uh, XD for really fast um, user experience uh, modeling and stuff um, to to be like, hey, we can here look at us. 
we have a product. You can do UXy stuff on the cheap, and you don't need to do the full-fledged, you know, whatever you're looking at. Um, I so 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 in one it, it's interesting because on one hand it empowers people who are not, you know, Susan who's a UX in-person expert, who who's done I mean how many user tests, right? Um, uh, and so it empowers them to do UXy stuff. Um, but it also, in, in, in some ways, allows companies to satisfy the, the UX grumblings of people on their product team without actually doing the full UX process, if, if that makes sense, too. So I was, I was curious if you had any, any um, if, that, if that worried you or if that empowered you. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely so. It's interesting because it makes me think of a couple of a couple of things, right? One is, um, you know, yeah. If you if you think about, you know, there is risk of you know, what's what's worse than no research is really bad research, right? <laughs> uh, you know, if I run research where I show someone a design and say, "Look how wonderful this is. This is wonderful, right? I'll pay you a hundred dollars if you uh, say this is wonderful for an hour." Um, you know, yeah, then that, then, hey, everybody said it's wonderful, and then we launch it, and then it, you know, some, there's a problem with it. So, you know, there is, there is bad research out there. There's always the risk of bad research. I guess I would argue the, the power to be able to iterate research and design faster uh, is still going to sort of arc towards the good, right? So, you know, it's not going to be perfect, right? And when you run a, uh, you know, a, a 15 minute remote unmoderated usability test, you're not going to learn everything in the world, but you're going to get closer to good uh, and you're going to get closer to good sooner. So I guess I would rather have teams feel that, well, yeah, you know, we need to check the, the UX box, the user experience box. Um, so fine, we'll do this. Well, at least they're, uh, they're acknowledging that that is a piece of work that they need to do. And then we can help those teams do it better and better, right? Because they're going to at least fine, we'll run a usability test and then they run it and then they get some feedback and then they go, ooh, ah, we, need to, we need to do some work here, right? We are getting that, we're getting that user's voice in their head. And it goes back to, you know, I mentioned empathy at the beginning of, the, of this discussion, right? Each time, right, they hear and watch somebody struggle is going to be additional empathy. And it doesn't stop somebody from saying, well, but... That was a different kind of user, you know. Oh, I think, uh, you know, I think your panel uh, doesn't represent our actual users. Or oh, well, yeah, but if the design were more complete, they would have understood it. There's always going to be folks who feel that way, but that doesn't stop them from each time they hear it. Right? Enough times they hear, yeah, yeah people have been having problems. Uh, they're not going to be surprised. They don't get to be surprised, um, and they get to and they get to, you know, continue. Right? Th that's going to affect how they think about design moving forward. And I would say, right, I mean, Susan, when you were back in university and when I was back in university, how many people were graduating with degrees in things like user experience? Um, you know, I will, I will hazard to guess not many. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, back, if you're talking about when I was in school, there's <laughs> none. Um, and I mean, it's, uh, but but now, right? It is it is a degree. It is a path that one can follow in, in, in university, and and you can get certifications in it. So there is just broader and broader understanding. Right? People will still grumble that it takes time, 
but the more and more folks that really just understand user experience and the importance of it, that's got value in and of itself. So that's a po- that's a positive message. <laughs> that was my goal, right? Because yeah. I feel bullish about it, right? I mean, I I think it's important, right? Susan, you and I, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have worked together if we didn't both think that it was really important. Um, and so the more we can evangelize about it and help people understand what it is and that it's not super scary and that it needs to be done, uh, that's nothing but good can come. So so what's the what's the next step then? So uh, obviously, uh, you know, doing make do being being able to um, make a user test in some way or just user research in general a little bit easier through uh, you know the the internet. That's 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 one thing. So w- what is the what is the next um, big step then for the UX industry in making it more accessible or more something. Do I get to be king of the world? Yes. Right? Yeah, go ahead. Please. You uh, be uh, king of the world. Uh, uh, Elon No, he's not rich yeah. enough. Uh, Jeff Jeff Bezos knocks on your door and they, <laughs> he says and says whatever you want. Here's a billion dollars. We would like to to have the next um, cool thing in in UX, please. You have a well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Susan knows I'm I'm not as strategic a thinker as I would like to be, mm-hmm. and so that's why I am not. Right? You know, Susan, that's why we haven't started the, the company that that has the software that is brilliant. But I was hoping you would answer this question, and then we Guthrie and I could get to work on it. Yes, right, exactly. Well, so it's interesting. I mean, I guess there's there's two pieces, right? So one is, you know, blue sky from a technology perspective, right? What's going to be super helpful? Um, I, I'm going to go back to that idea of, you know, how do we collect how do we collect data more real time and qualitative data more real time, right? We've figured out how to collect things like, you know, where someone is located because of their GPS, and we can triangulate that sort of stuff. And hey, how many steps you've taken because of the band that you've worn around your wrist, or the the, the object you have in your pocket. But uh, see, I'm a luddite. The object you have, the brick you have in your pocket. Um, so we we're able to collect that kind of quantitative data, but we don't have that good real-time qualitative data. Right today, research is still. You know, we only get the answer when we ask the question. So we need to go ask that question. So I think, you know, from a from a uh, you know just from a solution perspective, right? How can we get more real world in the wild information from uh, from our users and our customers, right? We have a product, and that product is out there. Yeah, you know, how many times have you heard Susan? Right. Well, nobody's complaining about it, so it must be fine. All right. And that's just because, you know, you complain about every time you have an issue, right? You uh, struggle with something on, in an app or on a website. You say, ah, yeah, uh, once you figure it out, it's fine. Right now you figure it out. It's a workaround. You don't report all of those. So being able to capture those sort of real world experiences, that's going to be hugely, really, right? I mean, almost a push from, uh, from the, the users and our customers instead of only getting that kind of data. And then I think the other piece is being able to accelerate the 
understanding and analysis of the data that we capture. So there's a lot of data that gets captured that just doesn't get analyzed because of you know, time constraints. Right? So we can make it faster to collect data, but there's still that hard brain work of analyzing that data. And I don't think, you know, I'm not looking for robots to replace UX researchers and analyze that data. But any mechanism to be able to accelerate analyzing and disseminating that data is hugely useful, not because it makes, you know, oh, fewer jobs for UX folks. I think it actually then is going to require more UX folks because of the fact that, you know, hey, now more and more opportunities to gather research, right? Every project that should have done six rounds of usability testing and only did one round, well, once they do six rounds, because we're able to run studies faster and get insights faster, um, that's not going to require fewer UX folks, right? That actually is going to require more researchers. They just might be doing more research faster and the ability to spend their time focusing on the harder questions, right? Sometimes our research just uncovers that there's a big problem and then we still have to go and actually figure out that problem and sort out that problem. So there's always going to be that space do you think um, with life becoming less, uh, I, I would imagine, I mean, I guess I don't know for sure. I would hazard a guess that there is every year there's less and less research being done about physical products and more and more U the percentage of UX that is just about a digital, you know, like an app or whatever. I would imagine that's getting higher and higher and higher. Um, does that change the fundamental uh, model of how you do user testing? If you know, because because it always made sense that you were the Jane Goodall watching the people with the blocks, especially when there was a physical, you know, object and you had to interact with it. Um, so it's a two-part question. One, do, does that change how you do user testing at all as things become more digital? And two, um, might when uh, there's more augmented reality and people are actually interacting in a much more physical way um might you actually have to go back to the uh observing live in person because you can't you know it's not just over the internet it's not just a screen they're using it in 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 the real world yeah i mean it's a so it's a great question right i mean i think there's there's still going to be there's still a lot of technology but i mean most of my career has been in sort of in the digital space right in the digital you know, development and then usability and then user experience right as the years go on that's the that's the words that we've used so it's been in that digital space i had the luxury before starting at, at user testing last year beginning of last year um, I spent over a year uh, in an organization that was more uh, providing some support for an organization that was more in the physical world, right? And that has actually always been uh, something that's been really interesting to me, right? That, that physical design. It's got so many interesting constraints and uh, there's, other, there's interesting considerations, right? You can't just change the code and therefore the screen changes and everything's great. So, you know, I think on one part, uh, some of us who have been in the digital field so much don't even deeply understand or respect all the UX work that's required in the more physical field. So I think there's a lot of physical design work that goes on out there, and it's just 
you know, sometimes, you know, maybe we're at fault as an industry for separating it, right? Oh, human factors is over here and user experience is over here. And those are, we're pretending that those are different things. Yeah. Because my formal education is actually in more ergonomics. Mm. Uh, so, so I think that's one piece, right? I think, you know, sometimes we just kind of forget that there is a lot of that going on already. Um, but I don't think there's going to be any, I don't think there's going to be any less on either side. Okay. Because right? I think even with our physical, right, we think about physical devices and VR equipment. Um, even when you think about artificial intelligence, well, we still have to understand humans interacting with the artificial intelligence, right? When it's just bots talking to other bots, yeah, there's less space in there for us UX folks. But, um, you know, I think we're really talking about humans continuing to interact with more and more technology, both physical and digital. Well, I, th I think that's probably true. I mean, as a newbie uh to the field in a lot of different aspects i mean i don't i don't really see a distinction between the various things of ux you know it's all it to me it all it's all just lumped together as, exactly right yeah that pers that perspective right it th there shouldn't be a distinction you should you shouldn't have to think about that <laughs> yeah for, for sure. So I, I yeah, those, those were those were the those those were my questions that I that I came prepared with. Um, I don't know if you have anything in particular that you'd like to plug. Uh, me? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I am again. I, I think I've I've sung the praises of the user testing platform, and again, that's not just because they have signed my paycheck. <laughs> uh, if I wasn't if I wasn't a true believer uh, in the user testing platform, then I, I wouldn't still be there. So, uh, I, I, you know, I think it is a I think it is an awesome um, I think it is awesome. And also, um, anybody who's going to be at the Convey UX conference in Seattle at the end of the month, I will see you there. Yeah. Are you uh, are you speaking? Or are you just attending? Or just attending? Yep. Going to yep. nose around and didn't chat we... people up and just see what's going on. Didn't we do a Convey UX at some point? I did. You I did. I spoke there, and I think that was the last time that I saw Steve in person. Oh, yeah. we went to this awesome bakery. Yeah. Do did we go to Bessalou? Yeah. Yeah. There we yeah. go. I'll plug Bessalou. So when you're in Seattle, in Bessalou, <laughs> you go to Bessalou. <laughs> we did. It was this great bakery, and that was the last time that I saw Steve. And that was in two. That was January two thousand and fourteen. Or wow. February. It might have been February 2014. Oh, it could have been 2014. We were still in college in 2014, right, Susan? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure we were. were Steve, yes, we walked out of college campus. Wait, Steve, Steve, Steve where are you living these? You're, you're, in, you're said Seattle? He's in Seattle, yeah. Okay. Yep. We'll, have to, we'll have to figure out. For some, we're, um, coming up, we have like 17 trips to California. And like we can't get to Seattle to save our life. I don't understand it, but it's just like it's true. I have it's never true. been to Seattle. What? It's true. Oh, we've wow. done we've done a thousand work trips. I've been to L.A. and San Francisco six eight times already, and I've never not once been to Seattle. Huh. Well, Steve. Figure something out and get us up there. Well, I mean, because your employer's not even in Seattle. Pardon? What's it going to take to get you guys to Seattle? Oh, a business of any kind. Uh, <laughs> this is just like, 
We, I mean, well, just because, you know, like, so, so we get various business calls from all over the place. Right. And, and they come from the predictable places. They come, you know, DC and New York and San Francisco and Chicago. I mean, you know, the major, the major hubs. Um, and some of the less, you know, you know, with the, the Bristol, Connecticut's cause all the insurance out there or, you know, Raleigh, because that's kind of an up and coming tech hub. Susan did some stuff in Utah. Uh, I, I, Ogden way back in the day. Um, and you know, LA is huge, but, but there are uh, what, like a, like a trillion tech companies, There's only a few large like tech companies in, that in you Seattle? may have heard of. Or, no. Yeah. And even a yeah. thousand that you haven't. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a major hub and just for whatever reason. Um, so, uh, we're putting it out there. Anyone listening who's from a company in Seattle, we haven't even uh, gotten any feelers out in Seattle. It's just been, Please call because we want to because Guthrie's got to go to the uh, really good bakery. <laughs> We've got to get him out there. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. And it was a, a great pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'm sure that we'll see you soon one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's been great chatting with you and uh, chatting with you too and catching up. And uh, give my best to all uh, all the great folks at usertesting.com. I will do that. They will be happy to hear from you. And if people want to reach you, Steve, how do they get hold of you? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, the, my last name is Fleming-P-R-O-T. So that becomes, it's really easy because there aren't a whole lot of Fleming-P-R-O-T's out there. So two M's. Uh, so that's, find me. No, one M. One no, M. one M. One M. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, once you just do Fleming-Pro, you'll be able to find me. Um, and I'm at user testing at sfprot at usertesting.com. Great. And, and also, yeah, you can also just us. email info at theteamw.com with any any reaches out to Steve, and I'll I'll make sure we get him whatever questions you have. All right. Have a have a great rest of your hey, day. Hey, by the way, just so everyone yeah. knows, uh, I'm in yeah. Chicago, and we are having a huge blizzard here. Uh. So. Where it's uh, it's in Seattle, uh, and I'm happy to report that even though it is only like six degrees Fahrenheit here in Wisconsin, the sun is shining and there is no snow falling. Yeah, no, we're getting we're getting about a foot today, and we might get another twenty inches uh in the next week as well. All right, so, uh, so. Guthrie is snowbound. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good day for sitting inside doing a podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.